Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. Let's give Zane a hand for coming up. Sharon, I'll hand this off to you. Thank you, my friend. Always grateful when I get to share with you guys. Today I want to talk a little bit about the enemy um, and just a few thoughts that I have on how we deal with the enemies in our lives. Um, so I just want to pray for a second and just invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would um, that you would have your way, God, that you would teach us, uh, that you would teach us not only in our minds, but in our hearts, in our spirits, and that you would make things come alive in us that need to be alive, things that give us perseverance, things that give us wisdom and understanding. Um, pray that your, the spirit of your might would come upon us and would be active that as we hear things, and as we understand things, that they would also have power to change us. So God, move in our hearts today. Amen. Um, so I'm going to start out by reading a scripture. You've all read it probably, it, many of you have probably heard it thousands of times. It's Ephesians 6.12, and it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm not going to like sit here and talk the whole time today about demons, although God has, been, has taken me on a journey the last few months of, of showing me a lot of things going on in the spiritual world. Um, but I am going to talk about it a little bit, so I know all of you are actually going to listen for like the first five minutes that I talk. Because anytime you talk about demons, and everyone's like, wait, what? Now I'm listening. Uh, I was at dinner with a few people the other night, and someone asked me a question about demons, and then, like, the whole table gets quiet, and everyone, like, leans to that side of the table, you know? So at least I've got one trick up my, my sleeve. Um, so this, uh, this weekend, uh, Matt and I made a, a little journey, and I'm not even going to share the whole story today, but... Long story short, Matt texted a few of us on Thursday morning, and he said, hey, will you please pray for my friend down in Houston? Um, basically, in the middle of the night, he went to sleep, and he woke up, and uh, his, wife, his wife woke up to him loading a gun and going to open the attic door because he was hearing people talk in the attic. And um, he went up there and couldn't find anyone in the attic and called the cops and they came and checked the attic and they couldn't find anyone in the attic. And he kept hearing <laughs> voices in the attic and 
And uh, then he started hearing other things. Like he was like, I started hearing a song, something about a warlock. And he's like, can't tell his wife, can't you hear the song about the warlock? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. And um, then he started having all these other, these other different like symptoms and thoughts. And so Matt texted, hey, will you all pray for my friend? And the te- moment I got the text, I'm like, this is demonic. Like, this is, this is not good. Like, I may need to, like, Matt, I might have to call Matt and be like, hey, let's go to Houston, because this doesn't, you know, this sounds pretty clear to me. But I was kind of like, I don't know. I was going through my day, and I was hesitating and, and uh, focusing on some other things. And, and probably about noon, my mom called me. And it's so weird. My mom and I have the weirdest spiritual connection. It's always the same. Like, we're always on the same spiritual wavelength to a really crazy level. And so she'll, she'll always call me with things that are overly specific. So she called me, and she was like, Zane, I just need to tell you a story about one of, one of our mutual friends. She was like, she just went over to some people's house, and they had some demonic stuff going on. So she went on over to help them do deliverance. She realized the demons weren't in the people. They were in the attic. And I was like, are you serious, Mom? <laughs> like... Like, how many calls have I ever gotten about, you know, a demon in the attic, right? So I'm like, all right, hey, Matt, like, <laughs> can we go to Houston, you know? Um, so, uh, so Matt and I got in the car, and we went down there, and, and we, did, we did pray with his friend and, and do some deliverance and, and clear out the house, and we did see deliverance happen. Um, and he went from being very not okay and in his right mind to um, to. I'm not going to say he's 100% like completely healthy because it's like we still have a lot of things to work through a lot of times. Like whenever we're dealing with things that are demonic, it's not these pretty little boxes. It's not like here's a demon and here's your mind and how your brain works and here's how your body works. It's kind of a messy thing, you know, like we still have relationships. And so all these things are a bit of a, a mess. So I can't like I do believe that he's completely free from demons. Like he's still working through some emotional things and kind of a little bit of like the trauma of what just happened to him and trying to figure out how to how to deal with that. And so we're still in contact. But God did deliver him. Um, and and I want to give credit to Matt too. I want to say that while we were driving down there, um, this isn't something that Matt's done a lot of. And so on the way down there, he was like he was like, man, I just feel so strongly for my friend. He's like, I don't know how much, how, how much help I'm going to be when we get there, man, like in deliverance. And I was like, you're describing compassion. I was like, what you're describing is literally the best tool for deliverance. Like you love that you love and you have compassion. Like if you want to see, if you want to see evil leave, then this is like the perfect place to start. Not a, not a uh, handicap. So Matt did awesome and really loved on his friend. It was cool to watch him. Um, so sometimes evil is very obvious, right? Like sometimes you're just like, okay, we get it. Demons are manifesting. People fall on the floor and foam at the mouth and like, okay, we get it. But a lot of times evil is not near so obvious. Um, and so I want to give an idea to you. We don't war just against flesh and blood, but we, we war against spiritual powers. And so if there's something that's hanging on in your life that you've tried to break over and over and over again, then there's a, there's a very reasonable chance that there's something more spiritual going on than just you have no willpower, okay? Um, and I want to say this specifically. I'm going to mention a few things. 
Um, and some of these things I some of these things I've dealt with throughout my life. But if you can't break the an addiction to pornography, it's probably demonic, guys. Um, if you can't break it, uh, the ability to to keep getting angry or to keep having anxiety all the time or to keep having self-hatred. Like, things like this are very often caused by something more than just your brain. And so I'm not saying your brain's not involved. We have all kinds of neuropathways that get developed and all these things. We have emotions and bodies that have hormones. I'm not denying any of this stuff, but it is also a big jumbled mess. It's very hard to divide one from the other, and there are spirits and they would like to keep you locked into something that you can't escape. And it gets very frustrating. And then you feel really guilty, and you really feel a lot of shame, and you can't seem to break away from it, and you don't know how to deal with that a lot of times. And so one time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share like a, a story that kind of reopened me a few years ago to realizing how much we have an enemy. Um, a few years ago, um, some of you know that I like work in real estate business, and I kept having these like invasive thoughts come into my mind where I would get these ideas for like schemes to cheat people out of money. And they were pretty smart plans, but I didn't want them and I wasn't going to do them, you know, but I was really frustrated because I just kept getting these ideas. And I even called Jordan one day, I know, and I was like, I kept, I keep having these weird thoughts of like cheating people on money. And I was like, I don't want them. I'm never going to do this, but I'm like frustrated that I keep having these thoughts. And so one night, shortly after, um, I went to sleep, and I, I'm, I commonly have dreams and stuff like that. This night, I did not have a dream, but I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just knew something. Like, I didn't hear God tell me something. I just knew something. And what I knew was that there was a demon that, this sounds weird, and I, I think I shared this a little bit during a Zoom call that we had during, like, the pandemic. This sounds weird, but I just woke up thinking to myself, a demon has been following me since early high school. It, it tried to attach itself to me because I was around this guy named Jared, who I was only kind of casually friends with. And, um, and it's been trying to get to me ever since. And like, it's in my house now. This is what I woke up thinking and knowing. And I'm like, this is a really weird thing to wake up knowing. But like, it just felt so like strong, you know, it wasn't like a it felt like I knew it, and I was like, this is a weird thought. So I pulled out my phone, and I just decided to Google this guy that I had gone to early high school with, and um, it turned out that he had just been arrested and gone to prison because he started a fake decentralized bank, and he cheated people out of millions and millions of dollars, and he eventually got caught and put in prison for this, and God's like, that's where all the thoughts are coming from, and I was like, whoa, like this is, this is a very weird train of events for me, you know, because it's very, you know, for a long time, I really believe in the power of the cross and the power of Jesus' sacrifice. So for a long time, I kind of just took that to meant that like uh, demons couldn't mess with me in any way, if that makes sense. And I still believe that like, I'm not telling you that I think if you're in Christ that you can be like possessed by a demon. They can't own you. But my beliefs have strongly changed to say, like, man, they can sure, like, harass the heck out of you, though, um, if, you, if you, there's any place in your life that gives them maybe space to do it or you don't recognize it. And um, so my point is, it's really important for us to identify who our enemy is. I want to talk to you about how to deal with the enemy a little bit today, 
But I wanted to say first that it's really important in your own life that you identify who is my enemy. Because once again, sometimes we feel like our enemy is someone who's causing us a problem. Or it's a, uh, it's a situation in our life. And there can be difficulties. Sometimes God sends those, like trials of many kind, because they'll develop your, your perseverance and your faith. Okay, well, thank you, God. Um, <laughs> genuinely thank you, but we don't feel that way, right? Um, but the truth is that there is some enemy that is trying to constantly get to you. And we don't take that very seriously a lot of times, or we've kind of like pushed this aside as an old, overly charismatic thought. And over the years, I'm realizing more and more being brought back to the point that like life is spiritual. You know, these things are very, it's a very real world. And so I want you to identify your enemy today if you have one. I'm going to ask God to bring that to you. And I also want to discuss the importance of dealing with the enemy and not letting them hang around. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 15. And I'm to, this skips through a few verses. But Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is a good time to listen if you're Saul. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid, good word, when they waylaid them as they came out from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to completely destroy, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Okay, so we have this, this scripture um, where God tells Saul to go completely destroy the enemy that has really given his people a hard time. Um, and I'm going to connect that now to a story that happens 500 years later. So I'm going to go ahead and um, read from Esther chapter 3. But first, I'm going to tell you the beginning of Esther. I'm going, to, I'm going to pretty much tell you the whole story of Esther today, but really quickly. So we're not going to like read a ton of it. Xerxes, king of Persia, is mad at the queen. And so he holds a contest to find a new queen. A Jewish woman named Esther wins his heart and she's made queen. Esther has an uncle named Mordecai who raised her. And Mordecai, soon after, uncovers some people have a plot to kill the king. And this saves King Xerxes' life. And this is recorded in King Xerxes' books of what's been happening. And so then we get to chapter 3, where the bad guy of our story, Haman, is introduced, okay? After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, 
elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. All right, go back to verse 1 right there. I want you to notice this. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, the Agagite. Okay? Do you remember 500 years ago who King Saul didn't kill? Who, who he spared some of his people uh, and, and some of the, the animals? It seems if you read other script, pieces of scripture that there, were more, that there were more Amalekites spared because they're still around. I want you to understand today that whoever your enemy is, God wants you to completely cut them off. Because whatever you don't kill may live on to hurt you, and it may live on to hurt your descendants to generations. We're talking about 500 years later that the guy that King Saul refused to kill because he didn't feel like it. He says he didn't do it because he was scared of his other men and like that they wanted to take things and hold them for themselves. So it's like, more of like a place of pride. We're going to take this king and hold him so that we can look at him, <laughs> you know, that we have him captured and we'll take all the best of their food so we can, you know, have it for ourselves and offer some of it as a sacrifice to our God. But it's disobedient, right? God told him, go and destroy everything, completely destroy everything and don't leave a single thing. Whoever your enemy is, God wants you to completely cut them off. You see, Haman, in the story of Esther, is about to develop a plot to kill what? All the Jews, okay? We're talking about one guy spared, and now his descendants, now his descendant is making a plot to completely destroy all of God's people. We're talking about the potential genocide of Saul's descendants because he refused to obey God and kill the king who God told him to kill. So if we fast forward through the story of Esther, after Mordecai, Esther's uncle, would not kneel to Haman, Haman developed this great hatred for the Jews. And he decided he didn't want to get back at just Mordecai, but he wanted to get back at everyone who was related to Mordecai, meaning every Jewish person. Haman coerces the king into giving him his signet ring, and then Haman uses the signet ring to make a decree that on this certain day in the near future, all the Jews are going, to be, are going to be killed in the city. So Esther and Mordecai, they just start to talk and they start to pray for a solution. And Esther says, hey, for the next three days, I'm going to pray, and I want you to get all the Jews to fast and pray with me so that I will have favor and know what to do in three days. And then Esther, she boldly approaches the throne of the king, uh, side note, at risk of her own death, right? Because this was not protocol. But luckily, Esther, of course, they've been fasting, they've been praying. Esther gets, gain, gains the favor of the king. And he says, what would you like? And she says, I would like for you to bring Haman, and I would like you to come have dinner with me, come to a banquet with me. And so he says, okay, your request is granted, I'll be there. Haman also thinks this is pretty cool. He's like, hey, he tells his wife, I'm the only one in the whole kingdom who's honored that Esther has invited to dinner alongside the king. He thinks he's pretty cool. And he tells her, he's like, but 
I'm not going to be able to enjoy this because Mordecai is still alive. I mean, this guy's got like a deep-seated thing. Like, he was walking through the streets, the guy wouldn't bow to him, and now he can't even enjoy a nice dinner until the guy's dead. So, Haman builds a giant pole, uh, a giant stake in the ground, a sharp pole that he plans to use a day later to impale Mordecai. This is his plan. He puts it out in the middle where everyone can see it. He's like, we're about to drop this dude on a sharp pole and everyone's going to walk around and see this guy impaled in the middle of the city. So I'm skipping forward a lot, going really quickly as to not uh, keep you here forever today and read you the whole book of Esther. But let's fast forward to Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as soon as they were drinking wine on the second day, just to give you the idea, they come to the banquet the first day, and the king says, hey, do you have a request for me? Whatever your request is, up to half the kingdom, I will give it to you. She's like, well, it's debatable why she does this, but she's like, my real request is that you come back for a banquet tomorrow. He's like, all right, we'll be back. Um, the king's pretty, like, uh, he, he's pretty uh, smitten with, with Esther. Yeah, for sure. So, as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty... And if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And destroyed, killed, and annihilated. The rest would justify disturbing the king. Sounds worthy of disturbing to me, actually. <laughs> but we'll talk about that another time. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, An adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up before to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. This is an amazing story, right? I mean, like, just incredible story. Esther and Mordecai put an end to an evil that Saul, 500 years before, chose not to completely deal with. 
This is an aside, but I've thought about it a lot. Man, I really don't want my kids to be affected by my sin and like the things that I didn't choose to cut off. And I'm not even, you can talk about generational curses or say you don't believe them or whatever you want to say. But like when I look at my kids and I see them dealing with things that I've dealt with or I'm still, still dealing with, and then I see like, you know, the effects of what I didn't spiritually cut off on my kids. I'm like, man, I want to break that. Like, you guys feel what I'm saying? Like, I do not want my kids or my kids' kids or their kids to be affected by the things that I did not choose to kill when God told me to kill it. And I feel like that these stories, both of them really, also tell us something about dealing with our enemies. There are different ways that God has us sometimes deal with an enemy. And sometimes they're kind of interconnected or related. But there are different ways that we can go about this and that we should go about this. Esther's story, uh, when I read it, it immediately reminded me of a different scripture. And you guys know this scripture. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As I read this story, I thought, man, one of the best ways to deal with an enemy is just to eat a meal with the king and make them watch you. Like, can you imagine Haman's mindset? I mean, he feels pretty cool at first because he's like, I'm the only one that got invited to this dinner. But the second the conversation, like, can you imagine the second Esther starts talking and says, hey, um... I have a request, and it's my, my people would be spared. Like, I mean, Haman's got to be, like, squirming in his seat, right? And all she did is talk. She didn't pull out a sword and wave it at him. All she did is talk to the king and eat with the king. And Haman could see that she had favor with the king, right? So let them watch you dine with the king right in front of their face, because if you have the ear of the one who has authority, then any plan that they make, against you will come to their own demise. Where'd Haman end up? Impaled on his own pole, the one that he set up in order to kill the Jews, right? We expose the plot of the evil one, and once all comes to light, their death sentence has already been signed. The death sentence was signed like 2,000 years ago when Jesus was put on a cross. You don't have to sign that. You just have to have a feast with the king right in front of them and then expose the plot to light. But it is really important that we recognize the plot and that we call it out to light. This is why we, this is one reason why we fast and pray. Like we turn our eyes away from worldly things so that we can instead of feasting on food here, we instead feast with the king in spiritual places, in higher places. Sometimes we don't have to fight because God will fight for us, okay? But sometimes it's different because Saul was not asked to make a meal. Saul was asked to be in charge of making sure that every living thing of the enemy was destroyed. And so sometimes, just like Saul, we have to defeat the enemy with a sword. God did not put someone else in charge of making sure all the Amalekites were destroyed. He put Saul in charge of it. 
And God has given us authority. We live under a new rule, a new set of rules now, and I understand that. And when Jesus went to the cross, he gave you the authority to take back the rule and reign of this earth from Satan. And I want to talk about one tool that's been really impressed upon my heart and my mind lately. We don't need to fight against flesh and blood like Saul was supposed to, but we do, in fact, need a sword. And the Bible talks about one. It talks about the sword of the Spirit, right? The Bible tells us to put on all this armor of God so that we won't be susceptible to the devil's attacks. And it also talks about the sword of the Spirit. And it says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, right? And I was reading some commentaries on this a while back, and it really stuck out to me that the sword of the Spirit was the rhema word of God, not the, not the logos word of God, okay? That, that The other word of God is the written word of God, but the rhema word of God is the spoken word of God. The sword of the Spirit is not your closed Bible that you're... <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The sword of the Spirit is whenever you hear what God is saying, whether it's, written in your, whether it's written in your Bible or whether you hear it in the moment and you know you hear the voice of God, then you speak it with your lips. Whenever we speak the word of God, that is the rhema word of God and that is the sword of the Spirit. It's active. It says that it's, it says this is the, the, the uh, word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Able to divide even between bone and marrow. It was very interesting actually when Matt and I were we're with the guy this last weekend. He said some odd things of how he was experiencing what was happening when we were doing some deliverance. But he was like, I feel like layers are getting peeled off me. He was like, how can, like, he, almost, he was kind of like, how can something get in there and peel layers off? And I immediately thought of this. I was like, oh, it's like the sword of the spirit. Like it's sharp enough to come in and just peel off <laughs> the parts that are not supposed to be. This is the same word that Jesus used in the wilderness to turn away the devil, right? It's the spoken word. It wasn't that Jesus thought to himself, oh, I'm glad I memorized these scriptures. No, he speaks them out loud. And this is the word that says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, I made the mistake for years of... Um, I think sometimes when you grow up in one type of church and then you find some beauty in a like whole different way that you kind of like can leave what you what you previously learned behind and like lean into the new way. So I grew up in church where um, and this isn't really like there's this isn't a diss or anything, but it did kind of feel like if you prayed louder it was better, right? Like if you if you yelled then it was more effective, you know. And and so then when I discovered this world of like silent prayer and that like I could just sit with God and be aware of his presence with me, a lot of my prayer shifted, probably most of my prayer time shifted to where I would be silent and I would just sit quietly. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I actually believe that it's beautiful and we have to hold all these things in balance. But I have found lately that it's necessary for us to open our mouths and to speak the word of God. Amen. Yeah, not only for someone else to hear it, but for your, for your spirit to hear it, for the demons to hear it, like everyone needs to hear it. It's the word of God, and it's the rhema word of God. It's the sword, okay? And so you cannot use your sword by keeping it in its sheath on your hip. You have to pull it out and wield it. 
And by that, I mean that I want you to start speaking more in prayer. Amen. Amen. So, that's the word I have for you today. And God is preparing a table before all of us today. That's what I want you to know. God's preparing a table before you today. And you must recognize the enemy. And you must not let it stay unnoticed. Because a lot of times we just don't think it's there, right? We need to pay attention. We must not let it stay unnoticed, and we must not let it go on undealt with. Some of you know those things. Some of you have those things in your life. I've had those things in my life that I've been, like, kicking to the curb because I'm like, you know what? All this stuff that's never, that I haven't, like, fully dealt with, let's get it out, you know? Like, let's get rid of it. And some of you... When I say that, you, something comes to your mind of like, this is the thing that I, can't, that I can't get rid of. This is the thing that I can't seem to deal with, okay? Um, if you don't put an end to these things, I promise you it will affect a lot more than only you. It will affect the people around you. It will affect your kids and your grandkids. It will affect, uh, it will affect the other people you see sitting in this room. We are the body of Christ. We're supposed to be united, okay? And if part of the body is sick. We need to get it healthy. So I'm going to invite you just right now to stand with me, and I'm just going to pray a blessing over everyone before we take the Eucharist together. And I'm going to encourage you that if you're aware of these things in your life, then I want you to ask God how to deal with it. And I want you to take authority where God's given you authority and to not just be okay with these things staying in your life, but to give them the boot permanently, okay? Um, Father, right now, I just bless every person in this room. God, you love these people and I love these people. And your, your desire is not for anyone to be in bondage. Your desire is not for anyone to be in addiction, God, things that control us are not your desire. And so I bless everyone right now here just to walk in a new level of authority. And right now, I bind whatever things are popping up right now in your mind. You can say them out loud if you want to. I bind these things right now, and we say um, spirits, unclean spirits, and anything that is not related to the Holy Spirit, we, we bind you right now in Jesus' name. We say that you don't have power here. You have been recognized. You've been found out. And you don't have any legal authority or access in these believers' lives. This is the ground that is covered by the blood of Jesus. And so we just pray the blood of Jesus over every single one of you. And I just bind any unclean spirit. And we say, go in Jesus' name. And I loose the Holy Spirit upon you. And I say, Holy Spirit, just fall. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, fill every unseen place, every hidden place, every area that has been attacked by the enemy, we say come and fill right now in Jesus' name and let your spirit just ride like the wind, God. We open up our hearts and we just invite you to come in and fill us completely. We invite you, God. This temple is for you. 
not for any outside influence. This is not a home for anyone else but you, Father. I pray anyone with a a pornography addiction, if there's a spirit of lust or of um, perversion, I just bind that spirit. I bind any unclean sexual spirit right now, and we just say you have no power anymore. We say go. I proclaim freedom to those who have had captivity from that. And I also bind the spirit of anxiety, and we just say go in Jesus' name. You have no place in the people of God We are redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus. And God, we just submit ourselves to you. We pray that you would make us holy, white as snow. And that we would pass on to every generation behind us a purity, a spirit of righteousness, a spirit of victory, a spirit of authority. Holy Spirit, have your way in us today. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at clearpathdallas. Thanks for listening. Here in your love, I can't help